Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. It's such a blessing to be here and so, so much of, I mean, the sermon always, it feels this way when I come to City on a Hill, the sermon begins with yes and amen. I mean, to what you're hearing and what you've heard, there's a unity of spirit here. And when you hear, when you come to church, a couple, couple ways I've found that I know the Spirit is speaking to me. One is when you come and you're like, uh, and I heard a lady say this, uh, Jackie and I had a woman over in our house a Friday night, and she said, uh, came to church, and it's been a long time she's been in church, and the preacher was talking right at her, to the point where she looked at the person who brought her and said, so you've been talking about me to your preacher. She was furious, you know. Uh, you have had that experience. The fact of the matter is, the preacher knew nothing about her situation, but the Holy Spirit was speaking straight to her. And so the Word of God hit her so directly. <laughs> the preacher had no idea, but the Word of God knew. The Spirit of God knew. And the other thing is, when you come to church and you hear the same thing, people are talking about totally radically different things, but you hear it over and over. You hear the same message coming through. And uh, I believe he's speaking in our presence today. So I want to uh, take us to First Timothy this morning. And be really practical. This is, I guess every preacher has favorite messages. Uh, this would be one of mine. You know, I heard a preacher say over the break, my job's not to convince people. My job is not to convince the people that the Bible's true. My job is to convince this preacher the Bible is true. And then it'll come through. He said, I'm not here to fill this church. I'm here to fill this pulpit. And if I believe it, it'll come through. And if you've been around my ministry, uh, it, uh, if, if I've been, had the honor and the privilege to fill a place like this, to be invited to such a great responsibility to fill the pulpit, you'll know, you'll hear some things in this message. You'll go, I've heard that before. That, believe me, this is something that's been in my life for years. I think part of why I believe every word of where we're going, First Timothy chapter 4, is because it's one of those messages that has impacted my life. This has been foundational in my own life. I remember uh, so many times in my Christian life being filled with this frustration. And the frustration was knowing what I was supposed to do, being frustrated by the practical application, right, of how to do that. And so many times, I think as Christians, we, we know what we're supposed to be about. Haven't you felt that? I mean, we know what we're supposed to be doing. You'll hear a sermon and it's like, be pure or be more patient. And you're writing this stuff down. I think we know it. You look, if you're a Christian, if you're in any way, and, and, and by the way, if you're here today and you're not a believer, welcome. I'm glad you're here. It's just like our brother said, seek God. The Bible says, seek and you shall find. One of the things you discover as a Christian when you've been walking with the Lord for a while, you realize you've been seeking God only to realize it's God who has, in fact, been seeking you. And you may be here, uh, C.S. Lewis, doesn't he say something like, or maybe it's Chesterton, James will know, you can ask him later. Uh, a human search for God is sort of like the mouse's search for the cat, you know what I mean? Like he's been looking for you and you may discover uh, that he has a uh, whole other plans for your life. Uh, that analogy breaks down because I think the cat wants to eat. The, the point is uh, that God has been seeking you and you may discover that. But for those of you, my hunch is for many of you, you've been around this stuff for a while. Look at today's weather. Look at this. It's January 10th on a miserable, gloomy Sunday morning. And where are you? You're in church. So my hunch is you probably know what you're supposed to be doing, right? And so to hear another message like, here's what you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be more loving. Guys, we've got to be more loving. There's a lot of people that need love out there. We've got to love them. Hey, 
forgive, Jesus says forgive people. You got some people you need to forgive? We're going to talk about forgiveness. You need to forgive. And a lot of the messages end up, I hear them as, so you need to forgive. You're like, I know, right? Now I'll tell you where this comes to a head is if you ever go to a, a, a I don't know, like a, a retreat. You've had this happen? Or a conference. My big thing is conference. I like to go to a conference. I hear these preachers preach. And man, I get out of there. I get, I get pumped up. I get fired up. Has anybody been to a conference like this? I mean, you hear these messages, be pure and live for, live for Christ and be faithful. And at the end of that time, you're like, I mean, if you're like me, you're like, man, I am ready. Woo, I want to go back to church and do a backflip off the balcony and close line the devil. Like, you're pumped up. You are ready to attack hell with a water pistol. You understand? You are ready. If you've ever experienced this, just, I mean, give me a little, like, you don't have to raise your hand because I don't want to embarrass you, but if you've ever been to a conference or something where you said, man, I got pumped up, you don't have to raise your hand, just give me like a, give me like a, huh? oh, okay, or you raise your hand, yeah, 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 all right, fine, somebody like, I cannot do this, all right, all right, what's the worst part then, for those of you who did, for those of you who didn't raise your hand, these people will tell you, what's the worst part about that spiritual mountaintop? Isn't that something, a phenomenal experience, it's a phenomenon that so many of us experience, a few weeks later, it's like, oh, that was good. Back to my old habits, back to my old ways. I go back and I look at these notebooks. I'm, I remember being at conferences where I've got spiral-bound notebooks, they give you notebooks and stuff, and I fill them up like, this, I should probably emboss this whole thing in gold and frame it in my, because this is going to be the most revolutionary thing. I can't even find these notebooks, you know, I just throw them out. I'm like, what, I'm like, what happened? I got so pumped up with knowledge. Does anyone else feel that frustration? Where I'm, I mean, I'm jotting stuff down, and I look back, and I'm like, really? This is what you jotted down? The preacher was like, be pure. I'm like, oh, be pure. Like, who writes that down? What you think, you know? Live for Jesus. Oh, okay. Live for Jesus. I've been living for Satan. This is going to change everything. Yeah, like, no, duh. Like, no kidding. I know it's going to live for Jesus. And in the margin, this got me so frustrated that as a teenager, I heard this three-letter acronym, and I began writing this down. I've shared this before at City on a Hill, so some of you sound familiar. But I got so frustrated with this, I wrote down these three letters, Y-B-H. And the Y-B-H encapsulated my frustration with all this. People were like, you guys, we, gotta, we struggle with purity. We need to be pure. And so I would write, be pure, Y-B-H. Love your enemies. Jesus said, love your enemies. Hey, you don't get any credit for loving the people that are nice to you. What about those people that are nasty to you? Can you love them? I'm like, love people that are nasty. Y-B-H! Or, or, or have a Y-B... And the Y-B-H stood for this. Yes, but how? How? I, I really want to do this stuff. I want to live right. Yes, but how? This comes to a head when I'm 18 years old. I told you, this is, my, this is real for me. First of all, when I'm 18 years old, I'm struggling with my faith. I'm struggling with doubt. Doubting God. Doubting my salvation. I'm in, still living in Kentucky. I drive out to this tiny country church. They had night church, evening church. You know, they had Sunday school, Sunday morning, then Sunday night church. I go out there at 6 o'clock on a Sunday night. God, I need to hear from you. Okay, I need a word from you. I'm hungry for you. I'm thirsty for you. If you're there, whatever. I drive. I get there. And uh, oh, get in and everything. And the preacher gets up there tonight. The message is on what to do when you don't have faith. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I'm like, speak, redneck angel. Your servant, your servant listens.
He says, I'm going to tell you what you need to do when you don't have any faith. I'm like, go on. What to do when you doubt, when you struggle with doubt. Some of you struggle with doubt. Mm -hmm. I sense there's a person here today who struck. I'm like, I can can tell you who he is. I mean, it's it's me, oh Lord, right? So he says, I'm going to tell you what to do when you don't have any faith. I'm like, man, I'm ready. You lay it on me. Leans in close. He says, there's one thing you need to do. Listen. The one thing you need to do when you don't have faith. That's the moment when you need to do this. That's the moment when you need to dig down and have I remember standing up, rah, kick a pew over. You're not hearing me, bro, chacho. That's the problem, right? What part of this don't you understand? I Yes, I get it. That's why I'm here. And you're telling me the answer to have not have faith is have more faith. The answer is be more loving. I'm not very loving. Well, you need to be more loving. That stuff works for a little while. I'm, that kind of preaching is important. That exhortation. Hey, here's what you need to do. The problem is it only gets you pumped up for a little while unless there's some answer to the yes, but how? If only there was some ancient book of wisdom we could turn to that would give us something like yes. That's right, the Bible. It, the answer came to me in two places, and they happen concurrently. It's probably why this message is forever etched in my heart. These two things happen at the same time. God spoke to me about the yes but how in two places. One is very strange. One is very normal. You would expect it. The one that's very normal is the Word of God. The one that's very strange was a circumstance and a place in my life where I went and did something... And those two things happened at the same time. I received this verse. And you know what I mean when I say receive this verse? I don't mean like God was like, I mean like, you've got the Bible, but there's just some times in your life where you're reading this stuff and it's, it's one thing to hear it. It's, don't you see? It's another thing you really, haven't you ever received a verse where you're like, now, I, okay, I got it. And usually when that happens, just for the record, it's never something earth shattering. It's never some new revelation. I, I won't say never. It's often... It's something that you really, that you've always known, that you know. I, am I the only Christian that's had that experience? I'm going around all day. You're not going to believe this quiet time I had today. I'm calling people. Guess what God showed me today in the Word? What? You're not going to believe this. What? What? God loves me. And they're like, yeah, my first grader could tell you that. There's actually a song about that. Jesus loves me. I think you should check it out, right? You know what I mean? It's, it's no, 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 but I get it now. Don't you see this? It's, it's, it's some truth that really, like, my heart's been applied to wisdom, and my life is flooded with this, this, it's not the new knowledge, it's the old knowledge. That's what I mean when I received this verse, and the verse I received is 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 8. You may remember, this was, this was last year, but it was November. Uh, I was preaching through 1 Timothy, and I left us right at Gluttony, and I'll, I, I, we pick back up right here. And I thought, if I'm ever preaching a series through First Timothy, this is my chance. First Timothy chapter 4. This is the place that's not strange. In fact, oh, I forgot I have control over the, over the power. There we go. First Timothy 4 verse 7. Look what it says. Remember the point of First Timothy? This goes back to last year. Uh, Paul said that these false teachers are coming in and saying, well, if you really want to know God, you have to get into the... Uh, arcane genealogies, some of which are sort of made up, but you've got to spend hours and hours and hours studying the ancient genealogies and mythologies of the Bible characters. It's not enough to know Abraham, say, or Noah or Moses, but what about Moses' great-granddad? Did you know that he did this thing? It's sort of made up. And they would split hairs, and they would get into all this stuff. Here's what Paul says. Have nothing to do 
with irreverent, silly myths. I missed the old NIV translation of this because I love it. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. That's all it is. I also notice it says, have nothing to do with. Paul does not tell Timothy, get on a blog and with great anger and self-righteousness, fire back at all these people. What does he say? Ignore. Ignore. Just have nothing to do with it. Why are you going to waste time and energy fighting that? Just have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. And that verse hit me right at this... I was in college, and this is the place that was not you. This is the place you would not expect. The verse hit me in Scripture. Scripture is where we expect God to speak. But He spoke to me in a very unusual place for me. It was in the college weight room. Gym. Probably not a place where people work out. Now, I've got to share this with you. This will come as a shock to many of you. But I haven't always been this chiseled hunk of muscular granite that you see before you today. I, when I was in high school, I was 6 feet 5 inches tall and 172 pounds. If you can't really picture that, just imagine like a stick with a nose. Okay, that, that, that's me. It's effectively two-dimensional. My mom says, you're not allowed to play football. You'll be broken like a twig. And she's absolutely right. She's 100% correct. So when you get to college, it's cool because, you know, if you're living in the dorms and everything, you meet new people and you get, you get invited to these new places. I would have never on my own. I had never been to the weight room, obviously. I meet Clay. Clay and I become friends. Clay's the opposite. Clay was one of these guys who in high school was a power lifter. I mean, just, you know, huge. You have no neck, legs like beer kegs. You know, and he's walking around. Clay comes down my hall, one that comes down the hall, bangs on my door. You know, he says, Tom. You and me are going to the weight room today. I need a workout partner. You're going with me. Now, I'm watching Saved by the Bell, eating a bag of Cheetos, you know, scrawny as a rail. And I'm like, I'd be. You're like, why would you want? She says, I'll be back in five minutes. Get ready to go to the weight room. She says, get ready. So I, I knew weightlifters wore gloves. My mom had a pair of gardening gloves. So I, I finally got roses on them, you know. So I go... Clay says, you don't need that stuff. So we start marching down. I thought, what a sight we must have been to walk down to the Murray State University weight room there. And there's the mighty Clay thundering down campus. And there's, you know, a big gust of wind comes by. Thanks, Clay. It's not like gyms today. If you, you know, if you remember Valleys or Planet Fitness or 24-Hour where they're sterile and clean and humane. There's a big metal door. They called it the field house. You know, Racer Arena right next to Cutchin Field House. And, they, and that's, I mean, I'm talking workout basically was like the afterthought. It's not like today where it's like, ah, oh, this is a great way to selling point for new students. This was like, well, here's where we used to butcher animals. Let's put some weights in there. You know what? So we, Clay puts that big metal door. And when that thing opens, yo, if I live to, if I live to be a hundred, I will never forget. The smell that comes out of that room, that that unholy mixture of human sweat and fear. I could, I could smell for personifications. And, and I go in there, and I'm not a body-conscious person, but I'm looking around at all these people. I'm, I don't belong here. I mean, this guy's throwing up these massive 45-pound plates, you know, rah, just one-handed everything. And I'm looking around suddenly for the first time in my life. I'm never personally thinking, I don't think about my body. I don't think about, oh, how do I look and all that stuff. I don't worry about this stuff. But that day I did. And I finally appreciated what it's like. People who struggle with body image and all that stuff. That shame 
feeling of shame. I did not want to, and in that moment, the one moment when I did not, the one thing I just didn't want to see, I wanted to crawl in somewhere and not be able to see with my own body. And because gyms know that, and because they design gyms to crush your soul, in the one moment where you don't want to see your own body, what is conveniently plastered from floor to ceiling is what? Oh, you've been to my gym. Yeah. But not just one wall of mirrors where you had to see yourself. There's an opposite wall of mirrors giving the illusion of seeing yourself and an infinity of scrawninicitude. So feeling both fat and scrawny simultaneously, feeling fawny, I get discouraged and Clay's one of these guys, Clay's one of these happy people, he's optimistic, he's, you know, hey, come on, hey, everybody start somewhere, he can see I'm getting down. So he says, everybody start somewhere, don't be discouraged, hey, come on, let's get pumped up. You know, Clay's one of these perpetually happy people. Aren't they the worst? They're insufferable. You know who you are. Literally, you walked out today and said, well, rain makes the flowers grow. Clay says, come on. So I bend down to pick up the shattered remains of my self-esteem. But even they proved too heavy. So, I'm, <laughs> so I make my way to the end. Clay says, all right, we're going to start you out on something. This is a military press. He uses all these things. Instead of the bench press, which is like this, blah, blah, blah. Work your black toys. I don't know. Because you're going to go up 10 times. 10 times you do it. Each time you do it, it's called a rep. If you do 10 times, a repetition. Each time you do it, uh, if you do 10 of those, it'll be a set. You will have completed your first weightlifting set. Well, I'm getting pumped up. Now I'm thinking, please give me a little instruction. I'm like, okay, I'm good to go. It's like, he's like, all right, well, let's do this thing. He says, I said, what do you think, man? A couple 45-pound plates on each end of the bar? Clay says, no, no, man, that's a lot of weight. We don't start with 45. Well, okay, like a couple 25s on each end of the bar? I mean, that's still going to look cool, you know? I don't look that awesome. He says, no, dog, that's a lot of weight, too. We don't start with 25. Some of you who are weightlifters know where this is going. I, I said, are we going to put like a couple tens? He says, that bar all by itself weighs 45 pounds. I'm like, a couple hair scrunchies on each end of the bar? Give me something, right? Give me a... Give me a He says, we're going to lift just the bar. Just that you want me to lift. Just, he says, that's 45 pounds, man. It's a great place. You're beginning. Give me that thing. He's like, nice and slow. We're going to go. We're going to breathe out when we go up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just the bar. One, two, three. I just start throwing up as fast as I can. One, five, six, which was a great plan. Stop. Until I got to seven. What happened at seven, weightlifters call, the burn. Total muscular failure. They actually want to seek that. I don't call it the burn. I felt it. I call it the sinister firing inferno of muscular cell death upon which every nucleus in my mitochondria shut down. That's my little nickname for it. And I will never forget looking at my arms going, seven! And the vein starts puffing out of my neck, seven! And my right arm slightly stronger than my left and the weights would have slid off. But again, it's just the ball. Seven! And now I'm going, what's happening? For the first time in my life, I've never felt that. I clearly knew what I was supposed to do. I was supposed to push the bar upward. I'd done it six times before. Seven. Instead of going upward, the bar was coming downward. And I'm looking at my arms going, push. And my arms are going, we hate you. I'm like, seven. I clearly know what I'm supposed to be about. I'm supposed to be about seven. So now Clay begins spotting me. Come on, man. One more. He's giving me a little help on it. Seven. At this point, the whole gym hears all this screaming and realizes... Man, somebody back there is throwing up an enormous amount of weight. To which they turn around and see this dude with just the bar going, Simon! 
ship with a guy screaming at him, helping him, right? To this day, I can remember it. I can feel it. For like 24 hours, I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't lift my arm. You know what I'm talking about? I remember being in the shower that night thinking, I got to wash my hair. Now what? Like, oh, come on, get up there. It's unbelievable. Going to dinner that night, you're going to eat? Yeah, man. My man. If you're, I assume you're laughing because you felt that. If you have felt that, if you know that feeling, if you can understand that feeling, it's like, I know what I'm supposed to be doing, it's just they don't work. If you understand that, if you understand that, you understand exactly how it feels as a Christian to do what? You understand how it feels as a Christian, you understand how it feels to be told, love God. Forgive others. Live for Christ. I know I'm supposed to be doing this stuff. I know I am. And you're being told, come on. In some ways, I'm like play. Come on, one more, one more. And you're going, I I know what I'm supposed to be doing. I just can't do it. And yet, look, when Clay yelled at me, it gave me like a little squirt of adrenaline, I guess. And I was like able to do a little more. That's the fun last. You with me? And that's when that when those two things happen at the same time. When the weight room happened the same time as First Timothy chapter four in my life, something clicked. And I realized, what's the only way I'm ever going to lift this weight? It's not by Clay telling me what I'm supposed to do. It's really not that hard. Take that, put it like in the air. It's easy. It's not going to be being yelled at. It's not going to be told one more time what I'm supposed to be doing. Even if I have an encourager, there's only one way that's going to happen. I've got to put this down for a minute. And first, I've got to say, you are a worthy goal. I mean, first of all, I've got to decide, I want this. And then after that, I've got to say, little by little, bit by bit, I'm going to start daily, but I'm going to start small. I'm coming after you. Little by little, bit by bit, I'm going to do some, you ready for this work? Training that will allow me to do one day that which I cannot presently do. And right now, many of you are sitting there going, I can't forgive. And I would say, that's correct. You're sitting there, your forgiveness muscles are like this, okay? So what do you do? Well, you, you go and listen to somebody scream at you about forgiveness. No. You step back and you go, I think there's some discipline, some training in my life that I could put into my life day by day, bit by bit, little by little. And what if I told you one day you could be able to do that which you cannot do? I believe Pastor Lynn is exactly right. I believe that our nation, we're in a new age. And it's not going to get easier to be a Christian. It's going to get going to be harder. And you need a verse like 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. And so here's what Paul says. Have nothing to do with all these shortcuts to tell you, well, really, if you just pray this certain prayer, or really, if you just, you know, if you just, ah, there's sort of a, a shortcut to all this. You know, oh, well, if you want to be really spiritual, you got to have this, or, you know, it, it, uh, have this blessed prayer cloth sent to you by this ministry or something. It's kind of a shortcut to godliness. He says, that's nonsense. Instead, train yourself for godliness. That's godliness. He wants you, we want godliness. That's what we're after. And he says, 
train yourself for godliness. How many of, of, of us are used to hearing this? Train yourself for godliness. Can we just read that together? Rather, train yourself for godliness. Uh, what, uh, when, it, when it comes to following Jesus, most of us rely on how hard we're going to try in that moment. My New Year's resolution, I'm not really going to try, I'm going to dig down. What he says is, why not train for that moment ahead of time? We see this played out in every other area of our life. At, at, at the risk of belaboring this point, if you were to take a, a musical instrument, if you began to take up the trumpet, and you said, I, want, I don't want to just be average trumpet, I want to be phenomenal. Listen to me, natural ability can only get you so far when it comes to trumpeting. On the count of three, I want you to say the answer to this question. Out loud. What if I don't know that you will totally know me? But what if I may not do it? On the count of three, say the answer. Natural ability will only get you so far. You can be good at trumpet, but to be really great, you've got to listen. It's okay to have some talent. It's okay to try real hard. But at the end of the day, if you want to be really great at trumpet, you got to what? One, two, three. You got to, that's right, you all said it. You got to go to a weekend retreat about trumpeting. And believe in your heart you can trumpet. But you got to really believe it. You can't doubt. You got to believe it. Down in your bones, down in your trombones. You got to really believe you can trumpet. And if you really believe you can trumpet, God will zap you with the ability to trumpet. Is that what it says? No, you didn't say that. You said practice. Isn't that something? You want to pick up the trumpet? You got to put in some disciplines. You got to put in some work. You got to do your scales. Da 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 da. da. You got to do your arpeggios. Whatever those are. You, you got to. Learning a language, you got to practice. Running a marathon, right? Hey, you want to run a marathon this fall, New York, November 2016? You don't have to train, just try real hard. And you will, and that's the thing, you will. And so many Christians I see, they're so frustrated because they're trying so hard. The whole point of this message is simple. When it comes to following Jesus, it's not just how hard you try, it's how well you train. So when you put in some training, Day by day, bit by bit, little by little. Will you put in some, the old timers call them spiritual disciplines. Entering into the gymnasium. You know that Greek word train we, is gymnasio. We get the word gymnasium from that. Go into God's weight room and put in some training day by day. I, uh, I think I know why there's confusion over this, I think. I think because you've heard me preach this, I'll continue to preach it, it's absolutely true. I think you've heard me say that before you come to faith in Christ, you've heard me say this, and it's true. Before you come to faith in Christ, there's absolutely nothing you can do to earn your salvation. Right? You've heard me say that. Your only hope, you're lost, you're dead. The Bible says you're dead in your sins and transgressions. So seriously, like, what hope do you have? There's nothing you can do to earn your salvation before you are saved. And uh, that's absolutely true. I think because we know that, because we believe that, and, and, and we should, it's true, I wonder if maybe we misapply it and we think that once you're saved, once God reaches down, saves you, you are born again, once that transfer of trust happens where you trust in yourself for salvation versus trusting Jesus, once, once you're born again, I think a lot of us mistakenly assume there's still nothing that God wants me to do. But that's not what the Bible says. This is train yourself to be godly. Expecting that, well, I, I know I'm really struggling in following Christ. Well, do you have any training regimen in your air? No, I just sort of assume some people kind of have it, some people don't. 
You know, maybe the Holy Spirit just blesses them and just zaps them with ability and the Holy Spirit doesn't. Well, He does grant you some ability. There's no question about that. We live every day in the power of the Holy Spirit. But isn't asking God to sort of, like, in the moment, grant you, like, just sort of take over your life, make you an automaton and live through? Isn't that sort of like going to a personal trainer and saying, listen, um, I'm ready to get, I'm ready to get really strong. I want to overcome, I want to have a lot of good things happen in my life. Personal trainer says, well, that's great. Talks about your goals and everything. And he says, okay, first thing we're going to do is lift these weights. And then you look at the personal trainer and go, you know, I thought about this. You're really strong. Why don't you lift the weights? The personal trainer would be like, well, I could. Don't get me wrong. And in fact, I could do it better than you. But is it the point to get like to get you to be strong like me so then you can go train somebody else? Like I'm trying to like build you up. And it seems to me some of this pain and some of this discipline, some of this work, kind of like, you gotta do it. I'll spot you. I mean, I'm here with you, but asking the Holy Spirit, well, I don't really want to train myself in godliness, Lord, because you're really godly. That's like, yeah. But he wants us to be trained in godliness. The uh, the disciplines of learning a musical instrument are very clear. I told you, scales, arpeggios. The disciplines involved in learning a language. You've got to do your conjugations and your verbs. Practice, practice, practice. If you want to run a marathon, the discipline is you've got to run a little bit and, you know, basically just keep running. Uh, the disciplines of football are jumping jacks and running through those tires in case a tire ever tries to tackle you on the field. The point is, you want to be ready for whatever comes your way. So what is the training in, the, in, in, in godliness? Well, as I said, they used to call them the spiritual disciplines, and you could go through lots of them. If you've ever read John Ortberg's book, The Life You've Ever Wanted, if you've ever read Dallas Willard's book, The Spirit of the Disciplines, uh, they talk about these things. The point is, I'll, I'll give you two just to get started. If, if, if I said, I mean, any doctor, if you went to a doctor for any, any checkup in 2016, aren't they going to tell you the same thing? Diet exercise they're always going to come back to those two things right in the same way 99.9 percent of christians i mean the, the prescription just to get you started to be very helpful would be the word of god and prayer and entering into that discipline sometimes it's going to be glorious like pastor linda talked about a recent prayer time when it was i mean the lord just took over that place and you felt the spirit and that, that will be your experience many times Many times your experience will be, wow, I didn't get anything out of that. I, I prayed, I did, I, I, right? What am I doing? Don't you see this gives you hope? You're training yourself in godliness. And you may not see the results of your training right then and there. Right after you work out. I, I, I don't ever work out. But James, after you work out, pick somebody who knows. You don't feel your best. You actually probably feel pretty beat up. And it's funny. People are like, well, I spent my time in prayer this morning. How come my day wasn't better? You ever think about this? Some of you are right now walking in blessing. You are under tremendous blessing because of a prayer you prayed six months ago. And you've forgotten it. But God has. It took a little time to do it. Some of you are right now walking in a period of darkness because of a lack of training six months ago. You reap what you sow, for better or for worse. You reap what you sow. But some of you have forgotten that. And we go to the Word of God and we go, why didn't you get anything out of that? How dare you say that? You have no idea what you've got out of that. Maybe in six years when your teenager's on a whole different path, God's like, you know, people are coming to you going, how'd you get so lucky? Like, look at all your kids, they love God. And you'd be like, I don't know. God's like, I know, it was that day you read Leviticus. 
And you were like, I'm getting nothing out of this. But I was pouring, I was speaking through my word. You just didn't know it at the time. But that filtered into every other decision you began to make. You had no idea. See? You don't know what this training can do. But that's the goal. The goal is, is not to be good at prayer or good at Bible reading. The goal is godliness. Right? And prayer and Bible reading are those disciplines that the Bible says can get us there. Does that make sense? They can, they can get us to that place. So daily prayer, daily scripture reading. Another thing that's difficult about Christianity is that when you're training for other things, there's usually a set time for when you'll need the training. Let me explain. When you train for a marathon, I mean, there's a calendar on your fridge where every day your training plan is written out, and that's race day. When you're training for a football game, Friday night, it starts. When you train for a basketball game, there's a tip-off. 7 p.m., Thursday night, you know you're ready. When you're training for a musical instrument, you're training for piano, you know your recital is such and such day and you got to be ready. And it's not, you, it's not going to matter if you try real hard. Well, I'm in this moment. <laughs> curtains open. Spotlight's on. You're at Carnegie Hall. And you look down at you in a grand piano. You can't just be like, okay, Dad, Belangie, try real hard. You're going to try real hard. No, right? That's not going to help, right? For a Christian, watch this. You don't know when you don't you don't know when hip hop is. It might be before you go to bed tonight. It might be on the way home. Some temptation strikes you. And something happens. You you don't know. It's it's not clearly delineated. So how will you be ready in season and out of season? I tell you how. I already know what you're going to do. Some of you are battling temptation. Two weeks from now, you're going to be faced head on by the prince of darkness and his legion of demons. And he's going to throw at you everything he has. Two weeks from now, I already know how you're going to respond. I already know there's a person that's getting on your nerves and it's getting to a boiling point And you're going to, you're going to want to explode on them in rage. And it's going to happen. It's going to be on Thursday, January, right? It's going to happen. And I already know how you're going to react. I already know. I know how you're going to respond. you some kind of prophet? No. I'll tell you. You're going to respond. You ready? You're going to do exactly what you've trained to do. I was watching a war hero. I thought of this actually when Pastor Joe mentioned uh, to me about the recent funeral. I thought about a war hero. I've never forgotten this guy being interviewed. Don't remember his name. Don't remember anything about it. But I've never, never forgotten this story. He was being interviewed, uh, receiving a medal. He had gone back. under Convoy came under fire. He was injured. Went back into danger in the fire pulled several of his soldiers out saved their lives he himself got out saved their lives came home they're calling him a war hero rightfully so they're honoring him with this medal and uh, the ladies interviewing says you know sir you're a hero and i, I just got to ask like how did you know what to, i mean bullets are flying there's all this chaos all this confusion i've got to know sir how did you know what to do in that moment and like a lot of these guys, very humble, he said, well, I don't, I don't know about Hero. He said, I got to be honest with you. I didn't really have time to think. Wait for it. I guess you could say, my training just sort of took over. Like, That's what I'm talking about. I would love for somebody to come up to you at work and go, hey, we've been talking. Yeah, we saw what happened back there. How did you not explode on that client? Like, because everybody else in the office, we were just talking about that. We would have exploded on her. You were so patient. Over and over. And like, at several points, we would have, we would have, words, 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 we would have not done that. I would love for you to be able to look at it and go, huh. 
Yeah. You know, 10 years ago, I might have too. I know, I know, I know. I guess you could say my training took over. What kind of training are you into? Mostly Philippians. And some Leviticus. And they're looking at you like, what is that? Philippians. Is that the name of your yoga instructor? No. No, man. I, I got this ancient Jewish rabbi that is on to something. And he's alive. He was this carpenter. My point is, wouldn't that be something? Wouldn't that be something? Hey, how did you not... You know, I'm looking at it, the way you did this thing. You know, with your kids. How did you... How, I don't know. I guess you could say my training just took over. You know, we're, we're all struggling. We're, we're stumbling through this. What is going on here? What's different? Well, maybe you could say, I guess, my training just took over. Godliness is what we're going for. And... Uh, I've uh, tried to make it very clear, probably even belabored that simple point. When it comes to following Jesus, when it comes to this godliness, it's not how hard you try in the moment of time. Because you can white-knuckle it. You, uh, th- that's what New Year's resolutions are built on often, aren't they? And I preach on New Year's resolutions, and I, I, I will continue to do so. Today's a good start to fresh break. But let me explain something. The calendar moving from December 31 to January 1 really changes nothing. Did you ever think about that? Account the best account. I mean, the the world is looking for a fresh start. That's why. That's you look around. You go, guys. I mean, it's right here. The world is crying out for a fresh start. They want that new beginning. But New Year's resolutions are based on the best human activity can do, and the best human activity can do is a 19 year old in Kentucky going seven. I'm gonna quit smoking. I'm gonna give up uh, uh, immorality and no more pornography and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay off the way I, I mistreat these people and I'm going to finally overcome my selfishness and I'm going to begin loving my enemies and you get preachers screaming at you, come on, come on. You don't need the best a human being can do. The change of a calendar from December 31 to January 1 can give you a new year. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ can give you a new life. His His power working in you. That's why there's daily, there's this training, but isn't training also this kind of dependence where you're depending on the Word of God and prayer? And that's why Hebrews says you throw off everything, distraction. You're not, people, the reason you would, you're either going to go do this sermon or you're not, by the way. I get no bonus points. If you leave and you're like, that sermon was good, or it was funny, or it was too funny, or it was, or it was, or it was uh, good or bad or whatever. Don't you see? I don't care. I get no credit for what you thought of the sermon. Will you do it? If you will go tomorrow and begin training, he said, well, I don't, I don't really, I don't know how to train. Get a personal trainer there. It's called any other Christian that knows what they're doing and just tag along with them. And, or here's a personal trainer for you. You can do it online now. It's Google. And if you go to Google and you Google daily Bible reading plan, I did it for you earlier. You know how many hits come back? 4.9 million daily Bible reading plans. I went through each of them to ensure that they were good. Took me a while, but this is what I do for you, city on a hill. So after looking at all 4.9 million daily Bible reading plans, here's the one I recommend. Any of them. They're all good because it's the Bible. Just get into it and read it every day. But you need a plan. You need to pick a place, pick a time, pick a plan, and then spend some time before him in prayer. I don't don't know what to pray. Get some training wheels. Go to the book of Psalms and just pray through the Psalms. Sort of parrot those words until you can find your own words. There you go. There's there's some training. You ever understand my point? I don't get any credit if you're like, oh, that was inspirational. I wrote down every word, or I didn't write it, or I forgot it. It's just, will you do it? Will you do it tomorrow? Or starting today, even. As you train, little by little, bit by bit, look what he says, look at the promise. 
He says, physical training. There's the word of God. There's prayer. Sorry. It is made, see verse 5? This is the verses right before it. It's made holy by the word of God in prayer. He's giving you the training right there. Have nothing to do, rather train yourselves in godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. It holds promise for the present life and also the life to come. What he means by this is that bodily training is good, and I want you to, I want you to be healthy. I do. Bodily training has some value. The word there where it says some value can be translated limited. Uh, your bodily training, however well you're trained, that, the, the value of that has an expiration date. Did you know that? The value of your physical training will expire when you do. Arnold Schwarzenegger's training has helped him. It has been a value in his life. There's no way you can't deny that. It probably got him famous, which got him to be the governor. I mean, it has helped him. LeBron James' physical training has helped him. No question about it. Awesome. When he's dead, he will not be strong. Right? Training in godliness. Carries on. You ever heard somebody who says, when you're a Christian, eternal life actually has already started for you? See, I believe that there's coming this new heaven, new earth, and we're going to receive these resurrected, glorified bodies. But our souls are going to need to be trained in the character. Why? I want to receive as much joy. I want to get as much of God in heaven as I can. And I need to train my character in that way to be able to feast on God. As we close and turn our attention to the Lord's table, let me say this. Musicians to come. It's not enough to white knuckle it. It's not enough to say, okay, I'm, I'm really going to do it this time. I know I've messed up in the past, but this is, this is my year. I'm, I'm really going to do it. It, it. It's all about me. Um, just so there's no... I, I, it really is a one-point sermon today. If you walk out of here and you go, man, what was the point of that? When it comes to following Jesus, it's not just how hard you try, though I want you to try hard. It's how well you train. Sounds like you got that. Well, I, uh, I started a couple years ago. I don't remember when it was. I think it was maybe 07. I started uh, uh, putting on way too much weight, and so my wife bought me a pair of running shoes uh, for Valentine's Day. From the, thing. the the point is, we got to talk about that later. That's a different sermon. Uh, and I began realizing something that it's helpful for me not to just go running. I mean, nothing like on a day like today. Can you imagine? I'm going to be fit and healthy. I'm going to go run. Well, like something probably needs to be chasing you if you're going to be running out here today on day like day. What I realized was something that helped me was running these big races. And so I actually uh, got signed up for a marathon. Let me explain. There are two interesting, I think, really interesting marathons in our country. I'm sure there's many more. But two that I find really interesting. One is the New York City Marathon. And one is the Boston Marathon. Here's why they're interesting. The Boston Marathon is what's called a qualifier marathon. What that means is they will not let you sign up for that race. You cannot run. You are not allowed to run the Boston Marathon unless you can prove from an actual, like, you know, United States track and field certified race that you have run a marathon in, in your age. You get a little grace. But basically, it's like close to, close to sub three hours. It's fast. It's moving. And if you can do that, then you get the right to enter in the Boston Marathon. And I will never, therefore, run the Boston Marathon. Rather sad. I just won't do it. It's too fast. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's like uber elites get in. And that's why it's a famous marathon. People spend years trying to get that BQ, that Boston qualifier, that Boston qualifier. I, well, it's not going to happen to me. The New York City Marathon lets anybody in. <laughs> so I 
did my thing that I had to do to get my entry and all that. And sure enough, in 2010, I got into the New York City Marathon. Really? Now watch. Something amazing happened when it comes to training for a marathon. If my only option were the Boston Marathon, I would have never gotten into running. It's not going to happen to me. It's not going to happen. I, I, I cannot run well enough to ever qualify. My body's just not the right type. I'm too old, whatever. I'm not going to qualify for the Boston Marathon. Give up. But once I got that email, you are in the New York City Marathon. It's November 3rd, 2010. You know what I started doing? If I told you, you had to clean your life up and get this sermon right, and you better start training to get into the kingdom of God, to get into the family of God, you do what I do. Good news and gospel, while you were still in sin, and while you were wretched and hopeless and dead in your transgression, your entry fee was paid for in full. And now that you're in, Not to get in. He has bought that entry fee for you. Does that illustration make sense? He has, he has granted us access. And that's why when Hebrews says, let's run the race with perseverance, what does he say? Let's look at ourselves. He says, let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. And sat down at the right hand of God. What does he say? Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that what? So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. That you will not grow discouraged. So some of you needed to hear this this morning. It's been a little while since kind of that training's got a little rusty. But to get back into that. Why? So you can earn God's love and his approval? No, because you have it. Because he settled that on Calvary's cross. For those of us, like me, who are visual people, he's given us a visual reminder of that. On the night Jesus was betrayed, the Bible says he took some bread. After he blessed it, he gave thanks, broke it, right? Gave it to his disciples. He said, this is my body, given for you. In the same manner, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. He says, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's what we're doing. We're celebrating the fact that he has paid our entry into this race. And I pray that this simple taking of the Lord's Supper will inspire us to take on that training as his children. People who have been given this great right, this great privilege to run this race. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you have done. We thank you for the good news of the gospel that we can never train enough. We can never get this right enough. We can never get all our disciplines in line in order to earn your approval. We thank you, O God, that you, Jesus, did it right. You did it perfect. You lived the life we should have lived. And on Calvary's cross, you stretched out your arms. You died for us to earn for us our entry into the kingdom of God. And I pray that we would train as those who have delight, who have joy, who have a motivation that comes from knowing that we are part of your family. Not from guilt or insecurity. Free us from that, Lord. Grant to us a great joy to enter into a life of strict training. And help us to help those alongside that we see they're struggling and falling down. Help us be a community that lifts those up by talent. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.